everybody, welcome to episode 148 of Making It. I'm Bob Claggett here with Jimmy Duresta. Jimmy Duresta. Jimmy Duresta. <laughs> <laughs> and, David, and David Picciuto. This is not working. Yeah, we tried. <laughs> we tried something new. Self-intros. We, we actually tried like three times and it still didn't work. So we're just going to keep going with so. How's it going, guys? I'm doing good. Good. Yeah. Doing, yeah. Guys, you, you guys watch my Instagram story just now? You see what's happening in my backyard? No. Concrete now. right now is getting poured. What? Like in the, the yard? Because they should probably put it in the building. That would be more productive. <laughs> no, actually, they're in the building. Oh, it's oh, it's funny. David, David, PC PC carpentry and the Mexican carpenter is the same person. I'm gonna okay talk more about him on social media. But that's David. David, we met all together. We all met when we were all in in Kansas City, 2015, and he's here in my yard working putting the concrete in. He's running the job. It's incredible. There's awesome. seven trucks are going to come in my squeezy little driveway that we made. And there's a giant pump truck that came in there. The guy right away is like, I don't think we're going to fit in there. But he's in there now, so you'll see it on the video. But if you go check out Instagram stories, it's uh, it's exciting. It's exciting. That's awesome. I, I can't believe it's actually happening. Yeah. It's crazy. So, so. What's, the, uh, what's the timeline for like pouring and curing and, you know, well, Before it's funny because now, like, like the whole end, where before I came to talk to you guys, the whole end was filled with concrete, and two of my GoPros are there. And I said, uh, "Do I have to wait till tomorrow to get them?" He goes, "No, you'll be able to get them later today." These concrete's supposed to cure up by four o'clock, five o'clock oh, wow. tonight. And but obviously, it's not going to be super cured, but it's cured enough to walk on. They still have to polish it, and then they're going to put crack lines in it and stuff. So they got a lot of work to do before the end of the day. So sweet, yeah, it's exciting to watch the process. Hmm. It's orchestrated. It's it's very carefully orchestrated because the concrete is coming from i don't know about 40 miles away in seven trucks and so you know and they're all parked on the side of the driveway now looks like a construction site in the city and as one guy backs out the other guy gets ready to go in and they're pouring it into a pump and the pump squirts it all the way into the building Hmm. it's a 35 meter thing it opens up like like what was that arnold schwarzenegger movie where like the guy opened up his shirt and it was like a guy with like a weird arm that came out of his chest was that movie Total Recall was that it? I mean, there was like a guy. Sure. Like, you guys don't remember Total Recall? I don't think I've ever seen Total Recall. Oh well, there was this crazy guy. Like it was like a mutant that was like on somebody's chest, and he had this weird arm that like extended out to like shake someone's hand. That's what this giant <laughs> concrete truck just did in my backyard. What I really hope is that that's not actually in a movie, and you just made that up. <laughs> it might be. And it was like you just like created a memory about it. That'd be awesome. <laughs> but I take your word for it. That's probably from a movie I haven't seen. Well, that's cool, man. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting. So the heating is in the floor, right? The heating is in the floor, yeah. We put heating elements in the floor, and then now we could run water through that or antifreeze, and we could do that either with a heated furnace that's going to be outside, heated with wood, I should say, a wood-burning furnace, or uh, Mm. some type of boiler. That choice is up in the air right now, how we do it. But it's there. The manifold's there. We put in and out water. I'm learning all this. So once you pour the concrete on top of that, um, I'm assuming like it just that just always works for forever, right? There's nothing that can go wrong, or as, if something well, does as go long wrong. as I don't drill a hole in it, it's all it's zoned. So God forbid I should puncture one of the things, we could just close that zone out. Oh, so okay. So there's uh, there's like I think there's only a couple hundred feet per return. So you got to go out and back. So you got to go out and back, out and back, out and back. So when you look at the manifold. You would assume there's just like one end and one beginning, but there's like five ends and five beginnings because you can't have too much in one run. So it always comes back to the manifold, which is basically a bar where they all go into the bar and then all come out of the bar. So he comes in and then comes back out through. And like I said, if, if God forbid I rupture one of them, you know, do, do stupidity with a drill or something, we could just close it off. I see. Hmm. But you know, there's enough concrete above it. There's going to be four solid inches of concrete above the mm-hmm. the thing, so we, this should be enough. So they said, like, if you're ever going to drill a hole or anything, just make sure you don't go past three inches, and you'll be safe. Huh? Yeah. That's so. crazy. That like four inches of concrete would even allow any of that heat to get right up. You know. Well, what happens is the heat sucks up the 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 concrete sucks up the heat and becomes like one big just pizza it. stone. It's like a big pizza stone, mm-hmm. and hmm. it just stays. Yeah. So it's kind of like I have this AGA stove in the kitchen, and once it gets up to mass heat, once the mass gets up to heat, it only takes a trickle to keep it there. 
of course, you know, you got to be insulated <clears throat> and, and that stuff. So, you know, your heat isn't just flying out the window. But as long as you can contain the heat, it takes just a little bit to keep it there as mm. opposed to it just constantly just yeah. wicking away. That's, really That's cool. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, uh, the, the floor in my shop is like a pitcher's mound. It's really high in the center and then grates fast towards the edges all along. And so um, we carpeted over that and all the tools on all the stands, they have wedges or the feet are like crazy adjusted because nothing is level. When I made my workbench a couple weeks ago, people were like, oh, looks like you screwed up your workbench. I see you have wedges under there. And I'm like, no, my floor is just crazy uneven. Uh, Is that how it was when you got it? You didn't redo it? I I didn't redo it. That's how it was when I got it. We looked at leveling and it was going to throw the budget way through the roof so it wasn't it wasn't worth it i'll tell you in the after show how much this cost (laughs) fall off your chairs (laughs) so david was is is your garage like that is that just a drainage thing is that intentional well yes it is probably the uh the guys that came to cut the uh concrete where we're running the electrical in there they said whoever poured this poured it way wrong because it's garages are supposed to like if you if it's snowing out and you park your car in the garage the water is supposed to go towards the garage door mine is just like a pitcher's mount and it would it would go all to the edges oh and so it's totally it's poured wrong and they're they were saying how sloppy it was because it was swirly on top and and all that so um it is what it is and i'm not complaining it's just i have to adjust feet and use wedges and all my benches and, and tools and stuff gotcha Crazy. Well, how's the shop coming? I mean, is it like completely done now? No, no. We are shooting the shop tour. That that's going to be what I'm working on segment this week. Is we're shooting the shop tour tomorrow, and we're also finishing up the bench tomorrow. Um, there's a lot of shop furniture that I want to do. I need a new uh, feed table because my table saw has a mobile base, and the current one doesn't fit. And I want to do drawers instead of doors. And then I need to build a table for. Uh, miter station and my sliding door isn't technically done yet i still need the bottom track and then there's also um i I, and i try not to show this in the videos there's romax hanging from the ceiling to the floor right behind the sliding door because when we when we cut the concrete we were still thinking of building an actual wall there for the closet and then I changed my mind and but we already cut the concrete. So we have this Romax just hanging there and I need to, you know, get it up to code. I need to have it like on a post, like stapled or oh, uh yeah. hidden. Yeah. And my um my electrician's coming over on Wednesday to help me build a little we need we're gonna add a couple more outlets. Um and we're gonna build a little charging station. And I'm I'm embarrassed because he's gonna come over there and he's gonna see that Romax hanging there and be like, David I told you to fix that, and so that's not done. <laughs> but uh, the shop is coming along, and um, um, I still I still need to. It's just all little things. It's completely usable. My dust collection isn't completely set. Um, behind, I still need to behind the sliding wall. I need to insulate the garage door and seal that. That because it's cold air is definitely coming in there, and. Um, but uh, once the shop became usable, I just stopped working on it and started making videos again. Yeah, it's yeah. it's that's it's what's all, gonna happen. Yeah, that's what happened in my my big giant warehouse. As soon as I was able to actually stop making stuff, I just stopped organizing. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh no. Yeah, because I'm excited. I'm, I'm I was excited yeah. to get back into like a normal routine and work on videos that I really want to make. And here we are. So now I'm I'm doing all that stuff in my free time. Yeah. That's tough. I mean, because, you know, the shop projects and stuff, like, make it more usable and make it easier to do the other stuff. But it also puts all that other stuff off, mm-hmm. like, down the road. And One of the yeah, good I'm things just- is is that the uh, the shop is disconnected from the house. And so, uh, it, my previous shop was in the basement. And so, when Kelly went to bed at, like, 9, 30, 10 o'clock, I couldn't make noise. But now, the shop is detached from the house. And it's far enough away from the neighbor's house where I can go in there and I can run tools and I'm not disturbing anybody. So, late at night, I can do little things here and there. Yeah, that is handy. Mine used to be uh, on the other side of the house from where, like, the kids' rooms were. So, after they went to bed, I could go back to work. Now, it's right below my daughter's room. 
And so now I can't like run any tools after she goes to bed. Mm. My boys are on the second story, so they're they're fine. But yeah, it's kind of like the opposite <laughs> in that case, where I have more room, but I have a little bit more limited time as to when I can work on it. But that's I've actually found that that's been kind of good because like I really now have a work day, whereas it used to be. I would work in the morning all throughout the day. I'd, you know, end my day at five thirty six, go hang out with the kids and my wife until the kids went to bed and she went to Derby and then I would go back to work for like two hours and then I'd go to bed and start it all over. Now it's like when I come up for dinner, my work day is pretty much finished, you know, and it, it's kind of cool. I mean, I don't probably get quite as much done as I used to with that, mm-hmm. but it's also kind of nice that it's like compartmentalizes the work part. And where I, you know, I have to fit in what I have to fit in in those hours and not rely on the extra, like, you know, post-bedtime time. But um, let's see. For me, I've been doing some shop project stuff, too. Um, We built a paint booth. And it's pretty cool. It worked (laughs) out really well. Um, It's So the side of my shop, the shop's kind of in an L shape. And... The, the big part of the shop is, you know, like the main trunk. And then this little L goes into a garage on the side. And that goes basically two single car garages deep to the front of the house. And then there's a garage door. <clears throat> and so I put a, a paint booth, like a, just a DIY, you know, really simple two by four and um, chloroplast construction booth. But it opens and closes, and I can hang stuff in it. It's six feet tall, about four feet wide, so it's enough room for me to paint something substantial, you know. Um, but then I have a, a four-inch pipe, and I'm going to have to end up making this bigger. I've, I've figured out from using it. But I've got a four-inch pipe running from there all the way down to the front of the house where the garage door is. And I took a furnace blower with a detached motor, and so the motor is not in line with the fumes. And so the air is being drawn in through one side, blowing out through the other end of the furnace blower, and then out to the front of the house. And I drilled a, a hole in the brick to go out of the house, which was scary. <laughs> it was like a, f- a four-inch round hole in the bricks. Um, and But it actually worked out pretty well. So I just put like a dryer vent so it you know closes when there's no pressure behind it. But then when that blower comes on, it opens that up and just blows all the paint fumes and everything outside and it's got filters. So it's paint's not getting out there, but it really takes the fumes, um, like out of the house, which is kind of the big thing because like I said, my daughter's bedroom is right above that corner of the room. So if I ever sprayed any spray paint or lacquer or anything in there, you could smell it upstairs like within a couple of minutes. So this, this takes it like out Hmm. like really quickly. I have a a, a quick tip for you because you're, you're drilling through your house, which is always the scary thing. Um, when we were redoing the walls in our shop and we had all the electrical laid out and before we insulated and put new walls up, my um, electrician buddy, he said, hey, you need to take a photo of all your walls so you know where all the wires are. So down the road, when you ever need to drill into the walls or do something, you know where everything is. And I was like, okay, I probably won't need that, but okay. And then now... I need to drill a hole in the wall where I want my Glowforge to go to vent mm. out the air. And I have a record yeah. of where everything is. So Yeah, that's a good idea. There's also these little tools and they look like a kind of a fat pen. It's a you know, it's about three quarters of an inch around. And it has a switch on it, and when you turn that on, you can drag it over anything electrical. And if there is power detected within that thing, it'll light up and buzz. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that's it a really the magnetic good. field. Yeah, it's a really good tool to have in case you need to get, you know, check if... I mean, it's good for checking if a wire is live, for one, but also, you know, if you need to get behind drywall and see if there's any, like, live uh, stuff back there, that's handy, too. Yeah, I have one um, of those Klein pens. It's like a yellow... Oh, yeah, 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 same thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but speaking of the Glowforge, so this this uh, paint booth is pretty far back. It's actually 47 feet from the, from the blower, and... In that span of 47 feet, I have my metalworking area and then the Glowforge past that in the front garage. And so I made inlets on this same trunk with blast gates. So there's a blast gate at the paint booth, in the metalworking, and then at the end of the Glowforge. So I can use the same exhaust system for all three of those areas, which is oh, that's great. fantastic. And that's why I've been planning on putting it over there hmm. so that I could kind of take advantage of 
that suction, you know, and just close the right gate, open the right one, and it gets the fumes out. We I was doing some uh, something in the metal working. I don't remember what it was yesterday. Um, but you know that like metal smell when you grind stuff and like. Yeah, you know, you, you I'm can, not allowed to, in the bed if I do metal work all day long. I have to take a shower and get rid of the clothes. Yeah, yeah. I can't even can go just, to any of the bedroom until I was like, you've been doing metal work, sleep on the yeah. couch. And and just having a vent that's sucking, I mean, it's it's a four-inch pipe, so it's not big. It's not really drawing as much air as it should. But even just having that running, pulling stuff out, taking it outside, makes a huge difference. So that's been really cool. But I am going to have to eventually take all of the four inch line and probably take it up to eight inch because the furnace blower inlet, the cir- the side of it, that's a big circle is 17 inches. It's huge. Uh, and so we're reducing that down to four inches and you know, you're just losing a lot of potential suction there. And so by taking it up to like eight ish, um, I can still get that pipe. We're probably going to have to make our own blast gates because the eight inch blast gates are like 75 bucks a piece really expensive um so eventually i'll probably you know swap that out and i do say that in the video but right now it does work to get the fumes out of there it can just be more efficient you know so but it's been a fun project it's cool to have it in place and it's like one of the last big shop project type things like infrastructure things it's finally in place so Hmm. i tell you i mean me being confined to a basement in new york city for all this time and then now being in the country it I just have my fumes, so when I do cut leather or anything smelly on my laser, I just have it just blow out the back of the machine into the room. <laughs> it totally doesn't matter. <laughs> and last, like lately, we we have a little pot belly stove, and we realize if we keep the door open, it's not quite as efficient for burning, but it makes the room a lot warmer faster. So we have the pot belly stove going with the front door open. And I got in late late last night, and Brett was working alone, and I opened the door, and the whole entire room was full of smoke because he goes, "Oh yeah, it gets smoky when you leave the door open." But it doesn't matter because it's like not enough to kill you, of course. But and then you open the giant front door, and then in two seconds the whole place is cleared out. So it's like I went from one extreme to the other, and I really love it. I love the freedom <laughs> to be able to just spray paint, do whatever you want. Uh, I like that's... your I like how your gauge for okay or not is it's not enough to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> like there are other things that are bad. You know, other than death. So. No, it's just smo- it actually smells nice because the whole room is just like yeah. lightly. You know, it kind of looks like a sexy mood lighting. You know, because everything's like a little smoky, like a like in the movies, and it smells <laughs> nice. You know, you, some dance yeah. music. Oh man, if you had lasers, and that would look amazing. Yeah, <laughs> we could probably make that happen. I'm gonna take the bottom of my laser out, and shoot it around the room. <laughs> yeah. That sounds. Safe. Oh man, yeah, it's probably yeah, not idea. enough to kill you. Yeah, right. <laughs> I just don't make a blind. <laughs> no, but it's it's just nice from one extreme to the other. Have you guys seen when Kyle Toth does his lasers and fog machine in a shop? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. That's how I picture it. It's crazy. I gotta uh, get him up of, here for a dance party. Speaking of lasers, did we talk about William Osmond on the last episode? We have, we have or, not. Okay, I wasn't sure oh, if yeah. that was between then and now. For anybody that doesn't know. <clears throat> Our buddy William Osmond, who's been on this show before, um, lives in California, and he and his wife lost their house and everything that they have in the fires, Um, and it it was devastating just to watch, right? And I cannot even imagine like living through that. Sure, they a a couple of people to help them out have set up um, GoFundMe's, and one of them has done really, really well and way, way past the goal, which is fantastic. And, you know, I, it's, there's a lot of money that's being donated to them, which is great. And I don't want to diminish that by saying that, like, they have enough because losing everything that you own, there's probably no amount of money that would be enough to, like, you know, replace it all and to rebuild. It's going to take time and a lot of effort and all this stuff. So um, if you have anything that you would want to help them out with, not only money, but also tools. Like the three of us are talking about trying to gather some tools and some other people to send him stuff so he can get back to making things. Um, You know, so I'll put links in the description for those GoFundMes. If you can help out there, that's cool. If you can find another way to help. Um, He's just a good guy Hmm. and they're young and to have, to be a young married couple and to lose everything you have right off the bat is, 
it's tough. So and he's uh, he's got a surprisingly great attitude about it all, like how you know. But it is the video he first put out is very touching, where he's trying to be funny, and yeah. then he gets emotional. Very touching video. Am, yeah. am I right in saying that he makes videos for a living? He does. So yep. he he lost all the tools that he needed to make videos then. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like his laser, his home-built laser is kind of like the star of his toolkit, right? It's the thing that he uses most of all. And that, yeah, it was it was crushing to see him like digging through a pile of burnt stuff and be like, oh, yeah, there's the compressor for the laser. There's the this part of the laser. And it's just yep. like, oh, man. So... Um, yeah, we'll put links. I'll put links for his video that talks about it and the GoFundMe's and everything. And if anybody can help out, it's just you, you know what's incredible is that was over a week ago, or just about a week ago, and that fire is still raging on as if yeah. without without yeah. any end in sight. And one thing that makes me really sad too is that he. Well, I don't know how to say this in a way that makes sense, but he has a platform, right? He has a YouTube channel with viewers, so he can say he put out that video and said we lost everything. If you can help, please help. And that's awesome, and I'm glad people are able to help him. In that video, he panned over and he showed an apartment complex down the hill where hundreds of people live that was just gone. And those people don't have a platform. Those people don't have a way to reach out to hundreds of thousands of people and ask for help. That's the thing that really got me. Like, you know, of course, I don't want anybody to have to go through that, but like, there's a lot of voiceless people who have lost a lot of stuff in those fires. So. You know, I don't know. I'll, we'll see if maybe we can find some sort of relief thing for the area in general and put in there. Um, so, but yeah, there's a lot of loss over there and it's, it's a shame. But anyway, if you guys can help, do it. That would be cool. Um, I had something I wanted to talk about before we got to our thing. and I don't know what it was. Maybe it was that. Was it Patreon? I don't know. It was Patreon. Thank you. Um, yeah, so Patreon... Uh, Jimmy, you're muted. Were you saying? Yeah, something? yeah. I was just gonna say Patreon. I need to be educated because I know there's a big turmoil happening. Well, yeah. So, um, do you want to you want to go over it, David, or do you want me to? You, you go over it. Okay. So I, I I don't know all the numbers, which I guess they're not really that important. But basically, last week ish, Patreon came out and said we're changing the way we do our fees, and it's going to be this much to us instead of this much and this much to the creator instead of what it was. And we're going to take some of that fee and transfer it to the person who's donating, you know, the patron. And it, when you look at it at percentages, it's a lot. When you look at it from a practical like dollar amount, the, it just like the balance gets out of whack. So basically they're trying to do this to adjust for the cost of the credit card fees. I think that's my understanding. Um, but for somebody who's donating a dollar to this show or anybody else, I think it effectively costs them now a dollar thirty-five, correct, and something like that. And we get seventy cents of that, or ninety uh, cents of ni- that, or ninety-five cents. We get ninety-five okay. percent of the pledge, but now they okay. have to they get fees on top of their pledge. Right. So we get more, but they're also paying more. Okay. And uh, I understand, like that it's a business that they're trying to cover their costs and make sure that, you know, the credit card costs are not eating away the Patreon. Can I, can I just clear something getting. up for yeah. myself? It's 35 cents per pledge or per dollar. It's per pledge, right? It's per, I think. Yeah. So there's, there's two fees. There's a percentage fee and I don't remember exactly what that is. Maybe 2.9. I could be just wrong. I don't have them. In front I'll look of me. it up while you're. Okay. So there's a percentage fee plus a 30 some cent fee. On top of that. So where it really affects people is like Bob's saying is somebody who only pledges a dollar is now pledging a dollar thirty some. And and it also affects people who have low pledges across multiple creators because everybody's on a budget. And so they yeah. might have to drop some creators to stay within that budget. Yeah, it so aff- it says here the new sorry, go ahead. I just it affects the the people pledging more than the creators or or Patreon. And a lot of the creators are saying, hey, put that fee on us instead of the people that are supporting us. That's that's where yeah. the drama is. Yeah, deduct it from your donation so that it... Yeah, it looks like it's a 2.9% fee for the pledge plus $0.35 cents per pledge. 
Okay. So, you know, like just what you said, yeah, the lower the pledge, the more that actually matters. From the the 35 cents is a lot of a dollar. It's not a lot of $20, but, you know. Um, and it does directly affect the patron, which in turn is affecting the, the creators. Not just directly. People are just dropping out. People are dropping. We've lost, I, I looked earlier, we've lost like $53 in pledges in the last week. I lost for this about show. $150 in pledges. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that as in like, oh, no, we're losing pledges because we're, we're fine. You know, we have a lot of people that take care of us, all three of us individually in the show. That's not what, but a lot of people have reached out and said like, kind of as a, from a principle standpoint, we don't like what Patreon's doing, but we want to support you guys and support the show and other creators. How can we do that without having to like go through Patreon? (laughs) So we don't have an answer for that yet. I don't have an answer for that yet. Um, I do know that you can set up. PayPal recurring donations, which is currently cheaper. Um, that is an option, but like, I don't know. It's tough because the reward that we try to give our Patreon supporters at any level is the after show, which is just more of us. And we don't have a mechanism to give that to people who donate outside of Patreon Yeah. yet. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to kind of address that and let everybody know we are thinking about that and trying to figure out another way to, to do that. But I also don't want to go the route of like trying to recreate the Patreon idea f- just for us or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you can a, build a new website and do all this stuff, but it's just like. Patreon provides a great service, especially if you do audio podcasts where you can have an RSS feed just for those members. And so, and then Patreon is a great way to discover new creators. So there's a lot of services that Patreon provides that can't just easily be built into our own personal website or whatever and um there's been a lot of there's been a lot of feedback and i think it's just best if we wait till the dust settles see what happens maybe everybody calms down maybe patreon adjusts um i i i hope patreon does something to adjust but they said they were working on this for a year and so you can't just work on something for a year and then like change your mind because that it affects your business. So we're just going to let, we're just going to see what happens for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really urge people, obviously if you, you can't afford the changes or you, you don't feel good about it, take, you know, remove your pledge, pause it for a little while. That's cool. That's not going to hurt us. Um, and don't yeah, apologize agree, to us. Yeah, seriously. We've had a lot of emails from people like, I just can't do this anymore. I have to remove it. And I'm sorry. I really, you don't have to do that. We, yeah, don't do that. Um, but I, I do know that, Jack from Patreon has said a couple of times, we're working on a response to this. We just want to get it right because we obviously messed it up. So, you know, they're, and he's like a super thoughtful person. I understand that he's probably not sleeping because of the feedback to this. He's probably in a bad spot trying to figure out how to make it right. I wrote an so, email directly to them asking yeah. them just to say, hey, guys, if you need any feedback on what your new changes was, it's not good. Yeah. I know they've been on, like, he's been on the phone with a bunch of creators individually just trying to get feedback and, like, trying to understand exactly how it's affecting people. So, yeah, I think what you said. I mean, honestly, if if they needed more money, if they took, like, another 1% from us or whatever would have amounted to an equal share, I don't think Mm -hmm. we would have given one thought to it. We would have been like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. Yeah. So I'm saying this way it would have been a completely blinded thing that, the patrons wouldn't have to have even read an email or dealt with. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, and they should have. They should have asked us. Well, it, it's a it's it's a, it's a tough position to be in because you're always trying to do what's best for your your clients, your the people on Patreon. You're always trying to do what's best for the business, and this is a new this is a new world. You know, this is yeah. this isn't something that's been around for decades. This is, they're they're experimenting and trying things just as we are we could make a personal change to our business and it could we could have the same response the great thing is that the people have voiced their opinion as a group everybody when when thousands of people say this isn't right that's a that's a it's a clear signal to the company saying hey maybe we need to rethink this yeah that's a good point and they actually have three groups that they're trying to pacify right you know they have internal their business and their venture capitalists that have given them money and all that they have us and they have patrons and not just like a handful of people like thousands on each side of that yeah that's a (laughs) lot to try to keep happy so anyway yeah i think what you said 
uh, is great, David. We're just going to wait it out and kind of see where the dust settles, and we'll go from there. But I just wanted to address it for everybody. So I've talked a lot. What are we going to talk about today, Jimmy? <laughs> what are we going to – are we going to talk about the education thing? Sure. Yeah. I don't know. I'm asking you. Oh. What are we going to talk about? <laughs> oh, no, because I know, David, you, you guys had some suggestions through the text messages in the last few days. But, I mean, it, I've been getting some emails. I got a, Recently, I got an email from a fan who's emailed the three of us who said – Hey, what do, I want to do what you guys do. How do I do what you do for a living? You know, young men are actually, young men and women are asking us, how do we, how do I steer my college education to end up in the lifestyle that the three of us have and many other YouTube creators? And so that's why I just wanted to start a conversation on that. And maybe, I know we've gone over this, but maybe in this particular isolated conversation, we could talk our personal paths and the choices we made to get to where we are. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess I could start because I gave this young man some advice. I said, it's difficult to say you want to go to college to be a YouTube creator. I mean, that you just have to start no matter what age you are, no matter yeah. where you are in your life. You start a YouTube channel and then you begin putting up content. And, you know, the younger you are, like, for instance, Raina, my friend Raina, who's started out because she loved the Yankees. And now she's doing all kinds of vlogging <laughs> videos. And, and uh, did Pachuto just do a spit take? <laughs> I'm not sure what happened there. I looked down and then he disappeared. <laughs> he just did a spit take. He turned so he didn't spit on his computer. <laughs> I did. Oh man. You alright? Yeah, yeah. Jimmy's being all serious and I choke on my coffee. And I had to spit it out. It's all over my backpack and my guitar. Uh, oh. It's okay. It's okay. It's a it's a Martin guitar. It's guaranteed for life. <laughs> so funny. Oh, I'm sorry, spit. Jimmy, go ahead. <laughs> No, so uh, that's all. I'm just saying, we'll, we just talk about the dialogue. So how, um, he's wiping his guitar off. When, when, I, when I was in high school, I didn't know what I was going to do. I were, had worked at a couple of sign shops, and I knew that that was fast money for me, and I really enjoyed it, and I was the skilled bandsaw operator, even at 17, 18 years old. But when it came to college, I had, in high school, I went to architecture school for half of the day for three years leading up to my senior year. So I was all prepped and primed to be an architect. And then in my final year as an architect, I really didn't like it. I didn't like the math. I didn't like the architect students, my, my co-architect students. They were too uptight. I was definitely more freestyle. When I say, you know, people are born with that precision in their, in their DNA or non-precision. I was with a bunch of precision dudes in high school and I was just non-precision. And it really, I really felt the difference. And so I, didn't know what I was. I didn't know if I was an artist, a sign maker, a builder. I didn't really have any defining conclusions when I got to my senior year. So I didn't go to college right away. And then after college, I bumped into an old friend that went to the School of Visual Arts who was there. He was a year ahead of me, my buddy Perry, who later became my business partner years later. But Perry encouraged me to go to the School of Visual Arts. And so on a whim, I went over there about six, eight months after I graduated high school, and then I enrolled and matriculated to become a full-time student as a graphic designer. But then I realized I was in the same predicament. I didn't like graphic design either. I didn't know what I liked. And then my second year, I thought I was going to drop out of college because I just wasn't having fun. And you guys are kind of on the edge of my, my generation, where when graphic design meant using photostat machines, photocopiers, setting up blocks of type, and then sending them to the typesetter. I mean, the typesetter is a job that nobody even ever heard of at this point. Mm-hmm. You'd have to spec a type, put in gibberish type on your layup board to show where it would be and the size and shape it would be. You know, Now everybody is their own graphic designer and their own typesetter because you have a Mac. But back in those days, it made, it made the creative process completely not fun because you had to do all these layups and stuff, layouts. Anyway, so I was feeling the, the stress from not really enjoying that. And then one thing led to another. And I met a teacher. I became a, a 3D illustrator in my second to last year. And so my, sec- my second to last in my last year at college, I got into 3D illustration, which covered so many disciplines. It covered product design. It covered photography because you had to photograph your work. You had to come up with all kinds of crazy materials. You had to solve visual problems with three-dimensional materials. And that's really where I got my, my foundation to where I am now being able to just handle any material so i got lucky but it was a rocky road i didn't go into college saying this is what i'm going to do i didn't know what i was going to do and i think that's the same path for many many people i'm done yeah Uh, so i'm going to take a different approach on that if the question is what should i go to college for if i want to do what you guys do my response is go to college 
for what you're extremely passionate about. If you Very if you much. know what your passion is, because you can learn videography, you can learn business, you can learn graphic design, but if you want to make videos or write blogs, you need to be writing what you're passionate about and you need to be knowledgeable about that. So if your passion is engineering, go to school for engineering and then just learn to make videos and content about engineering because people aren't people don't watch YouTube for production value. They watch YouTube because they connect with that person on the other side of the screen. They connect with that knowledge or the entertainment or or, or whatever they're trying to to show in their videos. So that's right. find the, find your passion and go from there. Jimmy, I, I actually I I didn't say state my point. I told the kid to go to school for product design, product engineering, and product design because that's sort of a very basic education where you could learn three D you know three D modeling and and everything else and hands on learning and machining and CNC and and practical basic prototyping. So that was my advice to him. But I, I totally like what your your point of view is: is just do what you're passionate about. Yeah. yeah, I um, after I graduated college, uh, I went to school for graphic design, and I worked for a couple agencies. Mm-hmm. And I thought one of these days I want to be like Bob Cleggett and run my own agency, which I didn't know Bob Cleggett at the time, but I wanted <laughs> to run my own agency. So I thought I need to go back to school and take some business classes. And so I did on my own personal time, and I forgot all that business stuff as soon as I learned it. Like it, those classes that I took, I, I learned the difference between an LLC and uh, a corporation and none of that means anything to what I do today. You can learn all that businessy stuff on the fly. Like I did, you know, you might have to pay a lawyer to help you with, (laughs) with some stuff, which I did. And it made me feel better about doing it because I had somebody else who knew how to put documents together and, they handle all that businessy stuff. Yeah, I mean, like in that case, it's like you can spend money one time to get a lawyer to do it right, or you can be in you know student loan debt forever to maybe have retained that information that you learned in college. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, um, you know, my path is actually really similar to. I guess all of our paths are pretty similar, but pretty close to Jimmy. And um, I was going to do architecture before I even like really thought through what that meant. And then once I saw what it meant, I was like, nope. Graphic design was next. I did that. What was until... it? What was it? Uh, what was it about architecture that you didn't like? Um, I think once I realized that it was like a, at least a five-year program. Yeah. And I started looking at the second half of of architecture school and what all the math and all of the code and all of the th- not not writing code the codes the building codes yeah. and all of that stuff it just like felt like tedium to me like that's not oh, where i want to that's spend exactly my time. exactly yeah. my process I, I i went through all this and i thought i thought to myself i had to cheat to get out of regions physics senior i was a senior so if i didn't pass regions physics i just wouldn't have graduated high school i would have had to go for summer school so i i begged the kid in front of me i said please let me cheat off you i am never ever going to do this as a career just i just need to if you let me cheat you're just going to be helping my life and he did he let me cheat he let me copy the little yellow like where you got to do the work so i copied his his formulations how he got to the answers and i passed you know with not with a great grade but just a passing grade but my process was I want to be an art. I could figure stuff out if I'm going to be a famous person or if I'm going to be a, a six, I mean, I don't mean to say famous. I meant to say successful designer. I can design any building and just hire a mathematician to do all this complicated stuff. Yeah. So, you know, you have artists designing buildings all the time, like Philippe Stark and these guys who would design whatever they want. They're not sitting there with a calculator and a slide rule. So I kind of started to develop that point of view right in my senior year. So that's why I said, you know what, I'm not going to go for architecture. I'll be an architect in my my spirit, but I'm not going to be an architect by license. Yeah, that's the same thing as a lawyer. I mean, literally, Mm -hmm. you're paying somebody else to do all of those things so you don't have to spend your life learning a bunch of stuff that you actually don't want to do. But yeah, so I I started out architecture, went to graphic design, same thing, realized that it was going to be, at least at the beginning, it was going to be a lot more hand drawing and hand typesetting and all that and they were like no computers and I was like I'm out (laughs) so then I did computer art and so I went for my college was in art school focused on computer art 
And at the time, that that did not involve very much programming, but that's where I found myself being interested in, uh, in the stuff that I was interested in. So I taught that to myself outside of school and then started company. I mean, we've been over all this stuff before, so I'm not going to go through it in detail. But I think the big thing for me about going to art school, the thing that was most helpful for every day of my life since then is that art school, at least, was a survey of a million skills. So, I mean, I took classes from sound design. I learned Photoshop. I did a little tiny bit of web design and I was actually like teaching the teacher how to do it so she could teach the other students. (laughs) But I mean, I learned like the 3d, there was a building, couple building classes where I did 3d design. There was 2d animation and 2d life drawing. And there was, you know, it was just a survey of all sorts of stuff. Color theory, that color theory class that I took, has had a bigger impact on me than a lot Absolutely. of the other. So I mean, funny. I think of my color theory class all the time. It's crazy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think college can be that. It, you know, if you don't have a very specific, like, I want to be a whatever, proctologist. If you don't have a certain thing that you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. Or whatever, you know. Was that if you don't have a certain thing that you want to do, then, then college can be a place for you to get to experiment with a bunch of different things and get exposed to different types of career paths. And I think I was actually talking about this a couple of days ago with somebody. It's kind of weird that in high school now, like in your freshman year of high school, they start trying to groom you for a career. Oh God, it's too early. That doesn't make any sense to me at all yeah. that to try to get these kids to understand what they're going to want to do for the rest of their lives. And they're teenagers. They don't know what they're going to do next month. You know yeah. I mean? So the danger, I think, th- that has value for certain people. Certain people, you can tell exactly what they want to be. They're on it. They want to like pursue it as hard as they can. But the majority of people need the opportunity to try this and to try that and to learn and to like you know get experience in this thing and that thing. And I was my sister was over last night with her son, who's a senior in high school. We were talking about what he's going to do after high school, and she kind of used me as an example. She was like, "Well, Bob wanted to do this." And then he went to art school instead. And then he didn't even do what he went to school for. He did something else. And then a few years later, he changed his job from software, and now he's making YouTube videos. So, like, I'm a horrible example of here's my idea. I'm going to stick to it and go to all the right schooling to get that thing done. And, you know, I'm, I learned how to learn, I think. Mm. And now I have the awesome, amazing opportunity to get paid to learn. I mean, that's basically what I do. Um, but I think if you have the mentality of always always looking for something new to, to learn how to do, if, if that's the – I don't even know how to say this. If that's like the driving force behind what your, all of your choices, it doesn't really matter what you went to school with for mm-hmm. because you can always learn the thing that you're interested in. If you decide today that you want to be a doctor, then you go to college to be a doctor and you know how to learn the right stuff in the right situation to be that thing. If you want to do something else in 10 years, Mm -hmm. start learning that new thing, you know? So I I don't think it's quite as cut and dry as what should I go to school for to be able to do X. Right. Become a student, you know, become a student, a professional student that you're always learning stuff and you have more freedom there. I think I've made a few career choices and at, I think at 24, I decided that's when I should go to college because I didn't want to work at Kmart for the rest of my life. And I went to college for graphic design. And I got out and I got a job doing graphic design. And then this is when the the web was starting to become a big thing. And so on my at my free time, I learned how to develop websites, HTML and JavaScript and CSS. And so I went from graphic designer to web developer. And then I was getting really into audio recording and I got to shadow an engineer for a year and I learned that and I got to do that only part time, but that's what I really wanted to do. And I thought I want to somehow be in the music business. And then my the agency I was working for, they said, hey, you have a photography hobby, photography background. Um, we need you to shoot some products for us. And then it led to, hey, transfer that to video. We're, we're going to shoot some web video. Can you do that? And then all of those things combined to what I do now. And then I made the career change at 30, 
38, 39 years old to do YouTube videos and woodworking for a living. So my career has changed many times. It doesn't matter how old you are. If you want to do the YouTube thing, you don't have to be 18 years old. You can be a 42-year-old dude making making videos. Just know that like anything, it takes it takes time and it's a skill that you got to you got to build and 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 like Bob said, you have to love learning. That's the biggest thing is I just I love learning the the new woodworking techniques. I love learning videography the uh how to set up a store selling my stuff the business part i love all learning all of that some of it i'm not very good at and i pay somebody else to do but i still love learning the aspects of that yeah and like i i almost wish we had a sponsor for this so that i could shout out some names but there there are a bunch of websites now where you can go and learn through really really well-made courses any specific skill and I'm not I, – I am a pro-college person. I think there's a lot that you learn in college that's outside of the actual degree that you're getting. So I think there's a lot of good stuff about going to college. Yeah. But it is not the only opportunity. Um, there, If you want to learn how to run a camera in a way that makes you know you stand out from the people around you who are making YouTube videos, there are websites. So you can go and get real instruction from real videographers you know, and cinematographers as to how to do that. And the same thing goes for like graphic design and for like marketing and audio recording and all that stuff. It's there. You don't have to go to college to learn those things. And I say that as a, like, maybe if you, if you do want to go to college and you still want to be able to do those things, maybe you make college about the thing that you can put, you know, food on the table with. Or maybe you make college about the thing that you just cannot ignore anymore, that you have to do whatever. And then all those other skills around it that you need to know, you know, photography and graphic design or whatever, learn those on the side. Learn those outside of the college environment. But, you know, it's all there. You just got to look it up and, and learn it on your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the you, – you, you nailed it a little bit, Bob, but uh, I'm just going to highlight it. The, one of the most important things about going to college in general is just the people you meet and the – professors and the teachers that inspire you. I have a handful of teachers that I think of every single day. It's I graduated college 27 years ago and there is people I think of every single day nearly if I really stop and think about at least several times a week since then that have inspired me in the way that like I grab a tool a certain way. I'm like, oh, I always remember whether it was my dad or whether it was Kevin or whether it was Mark. These are the men, whether it was my buddy, Harry, these are teachers that taught me I remember learning that. And so these are the type of people you won't necessarily meet if you decide to avoid college. Mm-hmm. So going to college and also the people you meet, the colleagues, the, the students that I was in school with that I am now still in touch with after all this time. And that inspired me because I see how their businesses have grown. And I mean, I had the, the, the pleasure and the opportunity to be a teacher. So I watched my students grow and I still have some students in high places now. And, uh, you know, it's amazing to see how they've grown all because of the social network that college creates and being in a college. So. Yeah, absolutely. And just, I mean, the, the people is definitely a big thing. I'm still in touch with a lot of people that I went to college with. Um, and that's personally, that's really good. But I think also it's one of those instances, everybody has a different experience with college, but for me, getting out of my parents' house, going to a different state where I couldn't rely on them was big. That was a huge because it made me way more self-reliant. And granted, they didn't like kick me out, you're on your own, figure it out. It wasn't like that. There was but no adulting it, involved. You just right, there was no do. adulting. I had to learn how to like take care of myself. I had to, and okay, here's another kind of personal weird example. I never had any debt until I went to college. Right. And I got a credit card, and I get in a lot of debt. Now, that okay. sounds awful, right? Well, it was learn. awful. But I learned a whole lot from that. And once I was able, years later, to get out of all of that debt, I realized that I am never again going to be in debt like that, ever. Right. And that wouldn't have happened if I was in my parents' house, you know, working and not needing to pay for this and to pay for that. Like, at the time, I got into debt because I needed to pay for things. And that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been in that situation, you know. So it's kind of a double-edged sword there. But my point is, uh, being forced to become an adult in your own situation <laughs> counts for a lot. 
And especially at the same time as you're trying to, you know, you have all these new responsibilities. You have to pass the class or you fail and then you lose money that you put into the class, that type of thing. Um, there's a whole different set of checks and balances and priority to, to, you know, the choices you make. I think a lot of that stuff maybe people don't realize when they're going into college because that's not what you think about. But um, anyway, I learned a whole lot outside of the classes. And I think college is a really good thing. It's definitely not the only way, but yeah. I think it's a good thing. I just want to talk about how much fun college was. Not the actual classes, but making friends and hanging out with like-minded people with the same goals. Yeah. That's That was just incredible. That was so fun. Yep. yep. It's like YouTube now. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's I love hanging point. out with, with the community and, and other creators. Yeah. Yep. And another thing that, uh, you know, college, right now there's a big discussion about colleges and how expensive they are. And when I look at what the, the school that I went to, the same education that I got several years ago is like more than twice as expensive now. That's my college is, is crazy. Is five times more expensive than it was for me in the eighties. Yeah. Five I mean, times. It's, it's, it's insane. And I understand that that is not worthwhile for a lot of people. You know, I mean, getting a good job doesn't really matter if you go into it with, you know, $150,000 of student loans. Right. So, I wanted to point out that technical schools or community colleges, and this is something that like Mike Rowe talks a lot about and a lot of other people are mentioning it in the last few years, but technical colleges to get a, um, like a, you know, welding certificate or to get some sort of a, I can't think of the word, like a tradesman, you know, they're to all be a just pro- as valuable. Yeah, they're, they're probably they're more, more valuable. I think they're, they're more, more valuable, valuable because there's a, there's a much quicker track to a job. And the there are school. fewer and fewer people in those jobs. Your competition mm-hmm. <laughs> is getting smaller and smaller all the time. And so you not only pay less going into it, you end up with a potentially a better paying job and less competition when you get out. I mean, that's certainly something to look at. And even if you didn't want a, a trade job, a community college is a way, you know, a way cheaper way to get a good education. Not all of them are great, but some of them are great. And you can get, especially like your first two years of school, you could get that as a community college to get it out of the way, cheaper, and then go to a bigger school to get the specifics if you need to. There are other <laughs> options. Um, so I just want to point that out yeah. because like I, if I was going into college right now and I looked down the barrel of $150,000 of debt, I would say, no, I'm not going to do that to myself. And I, I worry about that for my kids because I want them to have a good education. But there are other options to get a degree without having to take on that amount of debt. I just want to say I went to community college with the hope the, – the thought was I'm going to go to this community college for two years and then transfer for, to Bowling Green State University to finish that out. I went to community college for two years. I got a job, never went to Bowling Green, never looked back. So I only have an associate's hmm. degree, So and it, it worked out fine for me. So I have a BFA. Me too. Yeah. So It's funny. I worked in several jobs, and I know I mentioned this before, where – I, I was talking to one of the guys I was working for. I was freelancing at a company, but I'd spend time there each week. And the guy heard me talking on the phone. He goes, who are you talking? I go, oh, I'm talking to an alumni. We're talking about getting together. Have, he goes, you went to college? I go, yeah. He goes, you went to college for what you do? He goes, what yeah. did you go for? And that was about <laughs> five years out of school. He goes, I, I go, yeah, I got a BFA. I go, can I get a raise now, now that you know I have a BFA? <laughs> he didn't give me a raise. But the point is, is like he just thought like I was a guy that just grew up knowing how to make stuff, and that's all I've ever done, and I never had to go to college for it. But. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the hiring process is for a lot of jobs, so I can't say this with any definitive, but I kind of imagine that having those three letters on most resumes probably doesn't mean a whole lot. No. I mean, unless you're like a lawyer or some, you know, a doctor that needs, you actually have to get a degree to be called a thing. Um, like I, I've only had, I've only had to get one job in my lifetime, well, since college, you know, with someone else. And I know for a fact they didn't care whether I had a degree or not. It was like, can you do this work? Can you probably solve never, this I stuff? never had to present the concept of a, of a degree. I remember <laughs> doing a, I remember doing a, a resume early on, like right when I got out of school and I was like, there's not enough information on here to say, you know, I just wanted to say, I swear I know what I'm doing. You know, that's what I wanted to write across <laughs> my resume. <laughs> That would and, be an awesome <laughs> resume. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I never had a resume. I never, you know, and, you know, like I find remnants of ones from the early '90s that, like, in my paperwork occasionally. I'm like, look at this; it's ridiculous. But 
I just have always been lucky to just be able to just drum up work one way yeah. or another through friends, through networks. A lot of my early work came from the teachers I met at school. Mm. You hey, create your own keep... luck, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. The harder I work, the luckier I get. Yeah. Yeah. So. so there's no answer. <laughs> no, no easy answer. There's no but answer I like, at all. But I like the answer. Go to school for what you're passionate about. And then yeah. if you want to do this YouTube thing, everybody learns woodworking on their own. I mean, if you're a complete zero as far as never having experience with woodworking or metalworking or anything, just find someone in your local area. Just, you know, find a YouTuber that's in near you. They're more than happy to share it. I could probably speak for the whole community when I say, if somebody knocked on my door and said, I know nothing about, can I sweep your floors and watch? I'd be like, all right, come hang out. <laughs> yeah. Maybe You're not like, you guys. but you know, Free labor. You guys, sweet. <laughs> yeah. No, honest, I mean, it, it, no disrespect to Brett, but that's how I met Brett. Brett watched me on YouTube and said, hey, can I come hang out in your shop and learn how to do stuff? And so Brett's been with me for a year now and it's been great. Mm. It's been going great. So it's, it's just, you know, and people always say, how do I get to work with you? It's always timing. It's just, you never know. You know, like you walk through the door, it's like, oh, hey, grab that broom. Could you help me with this? And then all of a sudden you're in. Yeah, the timing yeah. isn't always perfect like that. But you just you just never know. You just never know. So it doesn't hurt to at least reach out to people you admire and, and people you look up to or people say, yeah. oh, how do I learn metalworking? I'm like, is there a metalworking shop in your neighborhood? I'm like, yeah, we'll just go offer to keep the place clean for the guy. And then you start asking questions. Yeah. Yeah, you just it's it, people who do what we do. I like to believe on the most part are happy to share the information. I would I, say I, so. Yeah, I will say here in Toledo, and I gotta imagine if you live in any any city that's Toledo or or bigger, you can find places to go. So here in Toledo, if you wanted to learn metalworking or welding, there are two places you can go. There's a local community college called Owens, and then the Toledo Art Museum also does classes. So there's two mm. places you can go. You want to learn woodworking? There's a there's a woodcraft here in town. Every weekend, every Saturday and Sunday, they're doing little classes, whether it's turning on the lathe or making a box on the table saw or whatever. And then there's also a local guy who gives six week classes so yeah. you you, just, you have to look for it if you're lucky enough to live in a city where these options are there take advantage of them yeah maker spaces are another good example mm. of that same thing exactly. a lot of maker spaces if you're a member you get classes for free or if you're not you can usually pay for the class individually but every maker space i've ever been in has had some sort of at least wood turning class like once a month but i know like the one back in savannah had um they would have Wood turning classes. They had electronics classes that I taught a couple of times. They had um, some basic woodworking, and I don't remember what they made, but you know, small project stuff. But I mean, that's like an awesome way to get in and get some directed experience from somebody that knows what they're doing. Directed experience on the tools. It's not watching a video. That's like in here. You make this thing, and I'll show you how to safely do it. And even if that's all you have access to for a while, that's a great kickstart into you know learning any of this stuff. So. Yep. A lot of options. Okay. Anything else on school? That's good. Education? That's good. We're done? Yeah. Cool. See you guys. I'm just kidding. <laughs> See you later. Uh, what have you guys been watching? Anything All right. cool? So I did a deep dive over the past four days into Ooh. Fusion 360. I, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I, I've done this I before. Do yeah. I've done this before. And then... When it comes time, in a crunch, when I'm trying to design something, I always revert back to SketchUp. And I, I this time, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with Fusion just because of all the options out there. So I watched a ton of videos, and um, there's not a lot of 360 woodworking videos. Um, there, there's a couple guys. I think we talked about Lars before on the show. Mm -hmm. So that Lars is not is my great. pick. Yeah, my pick is actually Paul Jenkins, the Wood Knight. Mm -hmm. He has mm -hmm. some really good Fusion 360 woodworking videos. And mm. also, he has some really good woodworking projects. So that is my pick of the week, the, the Wood Knight. The Wood Knight. Cool. I'll have to check uh, that out. I, I need to do that deep dive as well. Um, my Fusion... Fusion understanding is pretty shallow, and when it comes to like doing anything past that, you know, like really surface level stuff, I was like, oh man, I really need to put the time in one of these days to learn that stuff. And then I didn't do you it. do the um, the the stormtrooper helmet in Fusion? I did, but that was like 
Like I couldn't do that again. I would have to go relearn a bunch of stuff. Gotcha. It's so but funny. It just, I, I did the same thing. I made my little. I made my flywheel, my my fidget spinner yeah. that I will eventually cut, and I made that. And I'm looking at it a couple of days ago because I'm trying to set up the cut files. And I'm like, I, if I had to make this again, I'd have to start from zero. I yeah. How I did all this. <laughs> can yeah. can I? I want to do a couple plugs, non-sponsored plugs. I just had a sponsored video by a company called Skillshare a couple weeks ago. They're an online place. Uh, they're they're. There's some great tutorials in there, and I was very fortunate that they sponsored my video. There's another one; it's a it's a paid one called Lynda.com, and I love Lynda.com. I've been using it for about a decade because where I used to work at the agency, we had an account there, and uh, their tutorials are like some of them are like ten, twelve hours long. Like they are super deep. But I have a free account with Linda through my local library. Some cities have give you access to Linda through your library login. So something to look into. And actually, Skillshare was the one that came to I'd forgotten about Linda. Skillshare is what came to mind when we were talking about learning that mm-hmm. extra stuff, you know, videography and all that. They, they have a ton on there. You can learn a lot of that stuff for whatever the monthly fee is, you know. Yeah. All right, I'm giving you, since we're on the subject, I'm just giving you my buddy Kevin, who is a fusion teacher. He teaches for Saunders Machine Works. So if you take a class with Saunders, you'll take a class with Kevin, and his YouTube channel is Mechanical Advantage. So check him out since we're on the topic. Yeah. And uh, But I really wanted to talk about Lignum. Have you guys been watching this channel? He's from Croatia. I know that from his description. And he, re- he reminds me a lot of myself, this guy. He does all kinds of crazy things. And just a couple days ago- Is this the guy ago, with the giant robots? Yeah, he's got the robots, Yeah, the robot cutters. I think we might have talked about him a couple weeks ago because he made these inlaid sliced wood tables, which are incredible. But a couple weeks ago, like a week ago, I was at my mom's house and on my mom's mantle is this hand I made while I was in class at School of Visual Arts in 1988, 30 years ago. I made a hand that holds a clock. And so I posted it. And then it's so funny. me Me and Kyle from RR Buildings were talking. Do we think our phones can hear us talking? Do you think mm-hmm. your phones can hear you? And then like, there's a because I was at my mother's house and I was talking to my mother. My hand, my phone. I took a picture of it. And I'm talking. I go, oh, my! Remember, I made this hand. She's like, you should make that again. That'd be a great video. We're talking about it. And then I get home and I open my thing, and it's a video from Lignum of a handmade, a wooden hand made out of wood. And I immediately like, I'm like creeped out. I'm like, does how like how does the how did the spirits above or whoever it is know <laughs> that I just showed an interest in this? And then in my in my video, I get a link of him making a hand out of wood. Exactly the same way I did it, but his is beautiful because he did it now. And I did mine 100 years ago before I knew anything. 100 years. 30. But anyway, so check out Lignum. He's he's a, an incredible designer builder. He's 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 the type of guy like we talked about. He, he's, he's an engineer. He's all kinds of things. But this is his passion. So... If you got a passion for something, nothing's going to stop you. Yes, that's a good that's, point. That's so true. Um, mine is Colin first because we've talked about Colin several times. Oh, he's making a Tie yeah. Fighter. His Tie Fighter, <laughs> dude, made a full size Tie Fighter. Yeah. Just is he going to put it in his mind. bunker? No, it's too big. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. It's crazy. I watched it this morning while I was running, and it's like 13 minutes. I couldn't imagine how. Like how many people he would have to pull in to make this thing? Because it just seems like it would take so long just to move the pieces around, and like it's just a ton of welding, and and it's like three guys, maybe four guys or something. It took he said it took him six weeks, but it's crazy. <laughs> I just can't think on that scale. Like when I I was trying to think about like what it would take to come up with something like that. Obviously, you know he's got a toy that he's he's scaling up the toy, so it's not like he's starting something like that. You know, designed from scratch or anything, but you have a little plastic toy. You scale it up, I don't know, whatever twenty thousand percent, and then you have to figure out how to mechanically attach everything. And like, the wing has to look like this thing, but it has to be made out of materials that you can get. So, how far? I don't know the answer to this. I'm, I was wondering, how far into that do you actually plan? Like, hmm. I need this piece here and here. These seams have to be cut at this angle, and they have to be welded. Or is he just like, I'm going to grab some steel and start sticking stuff together? Because it doesn't look like that. It looks like he knows exactly what he's doing. And at that scale, that just blows my mind. So, anyway. 
it's a really cool video. And I actually want to, I got a twofer because uh, along with that, um, James Bruton, which we've all also talked about before, um, he has a channel called X Robots and he makes robots. And a lot of them are Star Wars or droid robots from different things. And he made a new, uh, the it's the BB-9E. It's one of the little ball ones uh, from the new movie. But the cool thing is he's made the BB-8, the ball droids from the last movie. He's made a couple of those, two or three of them. And this one, I was like, oh, it's the same thing with a different color, you know, because it's black instead of orange. But watching him make the first part of it, he changed the way that he constructed it. And the drive mechanism is different. And he, so it's it's really interesting that he made a thing a third time, basically. And it's entirely different than the ones that he did before. Not entirely, but probably 75% different. And it's really cool to see somebody like take something that worked pretty well in the beginning and continue to rebuild it and continue to improve it. And it's not it's not a simple project. So he's rebuilding drive mechanisms and you know counterbalance systems and all the electronics and the lighting and all that stuff. And he's redoing iterations of all those systems at the same time to end up with something that basically looks the same. That's kind of impressive <laughs> to me because I wouldn't do that. I would be like, I did one, we're done, never again, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So anyway, go check both of those out because I think they're really cool. Um, Got to thank our Patreon supporters, all those people that have hung around, and I don't mean that as a diss for the people that haven't, but I am really grateful for the people who have hung around on Patreon and are continuing to support us, uh, especially Make, Build, Modify, Michael Schubert, Works by Solo, Malton Make, Corey Ward, Evan and Caitlin, and Wise Old Dow. They're our top patrons, and we're grateful for them and for everybody. Thank you, guys. Thank yeah. you. Um, and seriously, like we said earlier, if you have to, if you want to or have to stop Patreon support because of the changes over there, don't sweat it. Not a big deal. We're grateful for anything or just the pats on the back or sharing the show or any of that stuff. It's all awesome. So, You guys got anything else? Um, what the heck are we going to talk about in the after show? He's going to tell us how much the concrete cost. <laughs> oh, oh <yeah>. that's right. <laughs> yeah. Drum roll. Get ready for the zeros. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, that's it for this week then, I guess. Thank you, Later guys. On. Love you. Yeah.